0: It's called the Radio Apotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. I'll keep your eyes on the road you upon the wheel. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Title 42,
1: the deadline came and went, it expired, and what happened? Joining us on 710K URV and uh, what what is to come after that, Uh, Victor Avila is a retired ICE agent, and he's also the author of Agent Under Fire. He joins us now. Are you currently in El Paso right now?
2: I just got back. I just got back. I spent the last week there, and a lot to share about Title 42 for sure.
1: All right. I'm all ears. Uh, so uh, at, well, take us uh, to well, Thursday. What, what uh, happened Thursday into Friday?
2: Um, well, the biggest thing is that, you know, everyone was expected uh, of these two gates that they'd open in El Paso, gate 40 and 42 from the big wall, that the, the crowds were going to come through there. But that's not what, what, what happened. And what's happening as we speak is they're, they're taking the buses over, and loading the illegals on the other side of the wall. It's still the U.S. side, but they're loading them in the cover of darkness in the middle of the night and sending them over to all these different places, to airports, to other bus stations, to your area, down all the way uh, you know, Del Rio and other bus stations. Plus, a lot of them, they're busing them to the Port of Entry right down the street to uh, the bridges in El Paso, and they're letting them come in through the Port of Entry with quote-unquote Uh, the documentation that the Border Patrol is giving them, and this is just incredible to me how they're not counting them as illegal anymore, and so that's why uh, you hear Mallorcas and other people saying, oh, the numbers dropped significantly. Well, the numbers didn't drop. What they dropped is the the illegal uh, out of it, and counting them as legal, therefore there's not an apprehension anymore, which is completely uh, lawlessness is what it is, and And so you still have the majority under this Catch and Release program, the majority of the people released into the country all over the place, Chicago, New York. And you heard uh, uh, those communities starting to complain about this because they're getting a lot of issues um, within the school systems. Um, We have a lot of these uh, individuals. uh, While I was there, there was a chickenpox outbreak, tuberculosis, lice uh, outbreak, scabies. Uh, syphilis, chlamydia. I mean, these are serious issues that they're bringing over. And guess what? They're getting on airplanes, commercial airlines uh, in El Paso, and San Antonio, and all these airports. And they're getting to a community near you throughout the whole country.
1: I will not lie to you. When I heard the headline that the numbers had gone down, I was like, wait a second. There's got to be an asterisk somewhere. Somebody's doing some mental gymnastics or some sort of stat bending on, on that particular number. I did not realize that that was what they were doing. Victor Avila is a retired ICE agent. He joins us on News Talk 710 KURV. We're talking about the state of immigration now that Title 42 has expired. And so, yeah, tell us about that. So they're legal technically, but not legal, or, or how does it work?
2: <laughs> that's, a, that's, a good, that's a great question, because it, in, in my eyes as a retired agent, it's completely illegal. They have, they have destroyed... And mangled the the criteria for asylum the criteria for parole I used to have the authority as a special agent to issue a parole and you cannot just give it to a person because they want to seek asylum that's a whole different process you cannot substitute one for the other now the asylum criteria hasn't changed but you know this administration has you know invented and really uh, created what however they want to interpret this asylum criteria the fact is, is that the majority of people are being allowed in anyway. Now, just what you're going to see in the mainstream media: oh, there's an airplane full of uh, Guatemalans that were deported and sent back. Oh, we put uh, a bunch of people in the in a uh, back into Mexico. Oh, we put them here, we put them there, and we turned them back. Yes, that is happening, but that's all you're going to see because that's a very small fraction. We're talking about uh, if you're looking at numbers here a couple of thousand versus hundreds of thousands that are being let in. But you're going to, they're going to make you believe that the border is now under control, which is not, they're just not now. They're being even more deceivious about it and more covert about it and not letting you in uh, on what's going on. And I think it's just deceivious to the, to the American people because you can deny the people showing up to the communities and the local communities are the ones that are, are questioning well, what do we do? Because these are human beings. It, eventually, I mean, they need services, a lot of health services. Uh, the criminal justice systems, the sheriffs, the, the, the chiefs of police are like, wait a minute, we're starting to see a lot of crime. Uh, just in El Paso, when they had the 2,500 around the church there, and I, and I walked around there, I shot some videos. Uh, there's a lot of issues, a lot of people getting arrested, prostitution, uh, drugs. And and that's and I'm telling you uh, the truth. Uh, the, the, what this causes uh, the problem is that the ones that really want to seek asylum and truly would would be qualified for that process are kind of put aside because you're mixing everybody together, and it's a problem. you're going to see the issues now occurring throughout the country where now what do we do? And it, and something's got to give. It, something's going to have to give in these communities. And, unfortunately, it's the U.S. taxpayer that's put second for all this.
1: You see, I thought, uh, sorry, let me reintroduce you first. Uh, Victor Avila is a retired ICE agent, supervisory special agent, joining us on 710K He's also authored the book, Agent Under Fire. And I honestly thought this was going to be because of the big storm that we had around the same time Title 42 expired. Did it just scare them off or what? But. where, where do we go from here? I mean, I know there's, uh, for example, locally, we've opened up Anzalduas Park temporarily to house people and to process mm-hmm. people, and we're, we're sending people all over the place. And uh, I hear there's tens of thousands more coming north through Mexico yep. this way. I mean, what what have you been hearing? What what, what should we be expecting that- over the next several weeks?
2: You're going to see tens of thousands. In Tapachula right now, there's tens of thousands, uh, thousands of individuals coming. And uh, mostly single adult males, by the way. Yes, you do have your family units and unaccompanied minors, but mostly the majority, at least what what I saw, were single adult males. And this is the weirdest thing, is that I didn't see one Mexican national. I didn't see one Central American. They were all from Africa, Haiti, Cuba, um, South America, Europe, Asia, a lot of Chinese nationals. And well, I'm thinking, what's going on? We need a lot of more time. Our agents need more time for vetting. And, and it's not the, the, the administration not giving them the time to process. You know, you hear the word process a lot. This is not a, a true process. They're trying to issue them a, an A number, which is an A file. It's an administrative file number that should accompany everyone. I'm not sure if this is actually happening at this point. Border Patrol told me that they were going to do that. They were going to actually do it. It's a true booking. And when you go through a true booking, you need a health screening. And I mentioned to you all the problems, so now they're going to the hospitals, and so the hospitals are super full. And the capacity, you mentioned the capacity is already full. Uh, We already have over 25,000 people in custody already. And so we have no room, and you're right. In El Paso, they opened up two empty elementary schools to house them. Uh, They're looking at doing uh, the same in Dallas-Fort Worth area. They're opening schools and other buildings in New York. This is the real problem because there's nowhere to put them. Where do they they live? They're putting them up in hotels. As a matter of fact, in New York, you probably heard the story. They kicked out U.S. veterans from a a hotel to make room for the illegals. It's just an upside down and backwards policy that I think this administration does not have a good grasp of how to solve the problem. Uh, I know they're for open borders, and you could tell because they're going to allow everybody to come in.
1: I got about a minute here Victor. Uh you you've had a very eventful career as a as a as, a, as an ice agent. Uh tell us about the book Agent Under Fire.
2: Well, you're going to get uh, uh you know specifically the uh ambush that Agent Zapata and I went through at the hands of the cartel, uh the Zetas cartel. Agent Zapata tragically lost his life. He was killed and assassinated next to me in the line of duty. I am here by the grace of God surviving three 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 bullet holes and um and, and so this is personal I've seen it in my career in the last 20 years we need to make some serious changes to both the illegal immigration system and the legal one and I want people to understand I want people to come to this country legally there is a pathway to do it but what's happening now it, it's a national security and public safety issue by the way I'm running for uh, Congress and district 23 to do that to bring real changes
1: whoa okay Okay, that's a good message. Okay, I'm going to write that one down. We're going to be keeping our eyes on you, Uh, Victor. Appreciate your time here with us today. That's retired ICE supervisory special agent Victor Avila, author of Agent Under Fire on Newstalk 710
0: KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. It's called the Radiopotami app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: Let's talk about inflation for a second. Remember that news? Uh, That one's been flying on and off of the radar, and I know we've been feeling it. And uh, I think it's been trickling into some of the the fast food prices as well. Joining us on 710 KURV, Mark Brzezinski, the author of Fork Fight, and he's one of the big brains behind a lot of your favorite eateries. He joins us now on your 956 Drive Home. I've been noticing, Mark, uh, uh, a few creeping uh prices that have been going up here's the thing i i eat this very strange diet it's a it's a one meal a day carnivore diet and one of the tricks of the trade is to go to a mcdonald's or another burger place and just order the individual patties so i have my eye constantly on how much does a hamburger patty cost and i've noticed over the past few months it went up from about a dollar twenty to about a buck ninety it's almost it's it's basically two dollars for a single hamburger patty now what gives
3: Well, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me into the show, Zach. I appreciate you calling me, and I'll I'll do my best to offer whatever insight I can. You know, it's a huge industry, and it's made up of fast food, fast casual, full service. We all feel it a little bit differently. I think that uh, commodity prices certainly have, have had an impact on that, but so is labor. I mean, right now, if you ask the average restaurateur, it's mostly about labor and the availability of labor and the cost of labor the The cost of your burger may have gone up that that sixty or seventy cents, but uh, it's much more significant the cost of what we're paying for labor nowadays and what it takes to uh, to com- completely fully staff a restaurant is is beyond what the average person could could really comprehend. And even me, by the way.
1: <laughs> Tell us about the struggle of keeping your average uh, fast food place staffed, and and what goes on with that. Are there any Uh, quality uh, drops in quality as that happens
3: oh no 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 i mean again i can only speak for myself and certainly i know enough other people in the industry that that's that's never something that that the what i consider to be the top companies to do you know, quality reduction is, is noticed almost immediately. And and I'll use you as an example. You would know if the place that you go to all the time and to get that patty without the bun, if they change their meat, you would immediately begin begin to be less of a loyalist to those people. And the struggles that people would have as a result of that would be, would be stunning. It would have a stunning effect on their business. Now, what you're going to find instead is they're going to try to find ways to increase the cost to you that absorbs as much of their increased costs as possible. And again, I, I point to labor. There's only so much elasticity in prices when it comes to you making a choice that you make. And ultimately we're going to hit a ceiling on what you're willing to pay for certain things. And, and there's going to be a, a a kind of a reckoning at that point, quite frankly, because labor is not going to be reduced. We're going to, we're not going to see, it kind of float down. And if anything, it'll continue to float up. So I don't, I don't think it's a quality issue. I think it's, it's a cost of putting everything in that building that day issue.
1: Mark Brzezinski is the author of Fork Fight. He is a restaurant uh, expert, our guest on your 956 drive home. And let's, let's dive into that, that labor factor there. What are you referring to uh, necessarily? Can you expand on that?
3: Yeah, I I think everybody. I mean, if if, if you just take inflation as a general condition that we're all experiencing, guess what? All the employees in that restaurant are experiencing that as well. So that manager who's been a loyalist and has worked in that restaurant for five years, he's being or she's being pinched as well. You know, the cost of renting apartment, the cost of food to take home, the cost of utilities, everything is going up for them. There's not a lot... That a, that a restaurateur can do to continue to raise that person's salary in order to keep that person without passing on some of that cost to the, to the consumer. I mean, it's kind of a wheel, isn't it? I mean, y- yes, you're going to pay more, but you don't always know what that's going for. But that, a lot of that's going to keep those same people cooking that same food for you and helping them with their, their fights against inflation in their own homes. That's the part that that people don't always understand. It's not just restaurants being being greedy and trying to pass on the cost of the of the commodities. It's it's how do we how do we balance keeping a a staff and not having turnover and and also rewarding our employees for their for their loyalty to us without it pricing us through the roof? And that's that's a tightrope that we're all walking pretty much on a month to month basis, quite honestly.
1: I, I want to throw out the, uh, well, at the risk of sounding cliche, I know that fast food places are incredibly efficient at what they do. And there's been a lot of thought that's been put into the the food making process and getting people in and out very quickly. I've known several people that have worked in the service industry, like at a Starbucks and other fast food places and just the just how quickly it needs to be drilled into them to get people in and out through that fast food window. And so, yeah, I understand the pressures on, but also you have razor thin margins when it comes to the product and, and getting all that stuff out. So I'm sure uh, fast food places are, are really feeling it when the, when the inflation goes up. And it's like, well, you know, if, if it's costing me like $10, $15 for a, a hamburger or something at a, at a local burger joint, I mean, why, why are we just not either dining out at a, at a real restaurant or uh, just going home and making food there?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, going home and making food, you know, now you're trying to teach people a new skill set, right? I mean, <laughs> I've, I've always said that, you know, kitchens are great places to show off during parties, but most people don't cook in them. Uh, I, I know a, a fair amount of people do, but the, the, the reality of it is, is that, you know, the the, the categories are going to merge a little bit closer and closer. It's going to be harder to differentiate fast food from fast casual, from that burger at, at five guys or that burger at smash burger from the burger at McDonald's. Because again, it's not always the commodity price. I mean, it's, it's the, the labor, the same labor that would apply at a Burger King is going to apply at a five guys. And that market right now has, has, has really gotten to a point where you can't hire somebody for less than, you know, 14 or $15. And that used to be the top end of the limit. Now it's kind of like that's what you have to do to compete, and that's and that that that's got to have an effect somewhere. Now in our industry, they're talking more and more about robotics, right? AI, and and how that might help to reduce the labor problem. But that's not going to be that's not going to be a fix. You're going to see in your neighborhoods for quite a while. I mean that the cost of robotics and and the training and everything goes along along with AI. Is not necessarily at our doorstep. You read a lot about it, but you don't see a lot of it.
1: Mark Brzezinski is the author of Fork Fight. He's our restaurateur. He is—he's uh, been the the big brain behind some of your your favorite places to go eat. He's our guest in your nine five six drive home. So Flippy, the hamburger robot, is not going to be <laughs> alleviating this situation anytime soon.
3: Uh, no, not not my estimation. And I'm smiling while I say that, because it, it sounds good, right? It's a good soundbite, you know, for people to put it out there. But, you know, there are there are what 400 and something White Castles. There's 40,000 something McDonald's. I mean, do you see AI being able to keep up with uh, the demand of, of these type of monsters and, and what their what their needs are in order to try to cut back on the labor costs? I don't I personally don't see it in in, in the short term quite frankly, I'm
1: not gonna think lie to you, as long as it go ahead.
3: No, no, I'm saying, I think I think the consumer is just going to have to make their own decisions on how often they go what they get when they go, you know, whether they get that little extra add on that they would typically have gotten, I think people will, people get very selfish about eating out, you know, Houston and Dallas is an example, They're the two highest per capita cities in the country where people spend money out outside the home eating. I don't see people giving up that. I think, I think we've become a little selfish about that, that right, quote unquote right that we have, the freedom we have to go out to eat. I just think people will make an adjustment. They'll instead, you know, they'll split an entree instead of each getting one, they'll get one appetizer or the family instead of two, you know, they may just get one drink with dinner, not two. I think you'll see some of that adjustment, and it'll affect the average check. But I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to stop people from walking in the doors.
1: You know i i was going to mention with the with the recent controversy of mcdonald's and the ice cream machines and stuff i don't know if you know flippy the robot was going to be the solution long term (laughs) for any of this considering how long it takes to keep those things maintained but uh, tell me tell me about fork fight and uh tell us about your
3: book well thank you for asking zach Uh, fork fight is a book that was kind of a lifelong uh, kind of passion of mine to write it's really my first book uh, I wrote most of it during COVID because in the restaurant business, everybody knows that COVID pretty much ground us to a halt. And for the first time in my career, my 45-year career, I had a couple of years where I wasn't getting on airplanes and getting in rental cars and traveling across the country. Uh, and so I had time and I had time to kind of kind of r- r- write these stories that I had developed over the years of my 45-year career, developing restaurant concepts and Working with some of the crazy people I've worked with and done some of the things that I've done and some of the travel. So I really had some time during COVID to sit down and write. And I was blessed when we put it all together and, and sent it out there to different potential publishers that uh, one of the large houses, Simon & Schuster, a division that called called Posto Press, called me two days later and said, look no further, we want to publish your book. And um uh, we work together it takes it takes as much work to get it published as it does to write it quite honestly and and all the editing and all of the different gyrations so i'm i'm, I'm thrilled that it's out and available for people on amazon or barnes and noble or even in your local bookstore most of them and uh, i think it's a it's a story with what i call journey book it's not an autobiography it's a story about uh being an entrepreneur and the successes and failures the ups and the downs and the craziness of, of working in this restaurant business for as long as I have.
1: Hey, thanks for spending some time here with us today. Mark, appreciate it. Mark Brzezinski is the author of Fork Fight. He's a restaurant expert, legendary entrepreneur, joining us on Newstalk 710 KURV.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk Seven Ten KURV. When news breaks, we break in. break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk Seven Ten KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have access to multiple gunshot In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk Seven Ten K This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: Happening right now on your 956 Drive Home, we've got to talk about real estate for a second. I know you've been seeing for rent signs on office space. You've also seen some new office space Popping up in some places. Joining us right now is Mitch Ginsberg, a financial services, real estate lending expert from comloan.com Joining us today. And so, what is the? I guess let's start at the very beginning for uh, the the real estate market in general for for commercial space. Uh, what's what's happening right now?
4: Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me guys. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think clearly there's there's a tightening uh in the market. You know, there, it's no secret. Obviously we've gone through record inflation. Um, you know, and as a result I think inflation is just shy of five percent now. I think it's at about four point nine three. So the Fed's made several interest rate increases. Uh the current Fed rates probably around five and a quarter and the, the target rate for them is, is to try and get the um, inflation to around 2%. So I think we can expect a few more potential increases this year as, as they try and, you know, get, get this inflation under control. So, you know, rising interest rates um, has has definitely slowed the market, and, and certain segments are hit harder than others, and I think you touched on it, um, you know, office buildings uh, because of you know changes in in behavior employment behavior um, as well as you know substantial increase in square footage available in office buildings uh, it, you know has resulted in the the office sector being you know the hardest hit um, you know so I think I think there's definitely some headwinds but um, you know I, personally you know we're, we're a Online commercial real estate lending platforms. So we have about seven hundred and fifty commercial lenders on our on our platform. So we have a very good feel for the market as a whole. And you know, banks are still lending. You know, they've they've tightened up their credit box. Um, you know, so so they are more restrictive. They are looking for more liquidity. But um, the sky hasn't quite fallen in as of yet.
5: Yeah, this is Davis Rankin. Do um, hmm. Do foreign foreign organizations or foreign wealthy people, you know, like the Rothschild family, for example, they put money with you guys or to to, to loan out? You don't have to. Answer or is it that. all institutional <laughs> you money? You don't have to
4: answer that. <laughs> hey, uh, we it's it's pretty much all you know. It's it's institutional debt funds, life companies. Um, we, as I said, we got about seven hundred and fifty lenders, but a lot of it's big institutions. You know, the big banks, the big. Uh, commercial mortgage-backed security companies, big life companies, and then a lot of the smaller community banks, credit unions that um, that that pretty much uh, are on our platform. So yeah, no no large, okay. wealthy foreign entities. Uh. It's a it's
5: a good question. You guys can laugh at me all you want, but um, <laughs>
1: uh, for the fine. for the people here, uh, the small business guys, and uh, you said that banks are lending right now, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, th- I think they've tightened up and it's 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 very regional. I mean you, you you know, you get certain banks and obviously we've had three banks recently that have got into trouble, you know, Silicon and Signature and First Republic. But you know, I think I think any bank that has a very heavy concentration in, in office, um, I think could potentially have some problems. But you know, I, I think a lot of the data that's being Spun out there that you know 70% of all commercial real estate debt is held by small regional banks. I mean that's just flat wrong. I mean it's 70% of domestic banks, uh, 70% of the loans held by domestic banks, um, you know, are, are small. You know, are small regional banks, and so you have about just about 4,700 regional banks or smaller banks that hold about 67% of the commercial loans held by banks and then the 25 large banks hold the the other 33% but that doesn't represent all the loans because you've got the CMBS lenders you've got the life companies you've got you know all these other entities that hold hold the the um, the loans so it's a much smaller percent smaller to regional banks really hold between seventeen to twenty percent of all commercial loans, which is a lot smaller percentage. So you know this this fear of oh my God, you know all the all the small commercial and you know local regional banks are all going to go under because they hold the majority of all the commercial loans is is really not correct.
1: Joining us on 710 U R V is Mitch Ginsberg. He is a expert in real estate lending from comloan.com financial services. Davis Rankin, another question for you. Go is ahead.
5: there much difference in interest rates being asked by, by state or by um, region of the country?
4: You know, I, th- I think there's going to be this small, small variations. I think it's more the type of lender that's, that's going to give you a variation. So for example, you know, we have a live uh, rate comparison really, which is an average of our database of the 700 plus lenders. So for example, you know, on multifamily, your, your average rate on banks is probably just around the 6% mark. Whereas, you know, the, what we call agency, which is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which is, you know, are the two entities that are very active in the multifamily space, they're running probably in the fives, uh, the mid fives, you know, particularly on the larger agency loans. So, and, and then, you know, on commercial properties, which really encompasses everything else other than multifamily, um, you know, your banks are running probably once again around the 6% mark on average. On say a five-year uh, loan, where CMBS is is running more, you know, around six and a quarter. So, I think overall, your your best best rates out there are probably going to be in the mid fives, uh, and you know, as far as institutional lenders, your rates are probably in the early sixes for everything else. But then, you know, you can start getting into bridge loans and debt funds, and that in this environment gets a lot more expensive. I mean, you're talking probably in the eight percent range, anywhere up to the eleven percent range. So I think it's it's more the type of the loan and the risk profile. I think, you know, when you you're dealing with a stabilized property means it's fully leased up, it's it's got a good tenant mix and a good track record, that's gonna attract probably your better institutional loans. But when you start getting into higher risk properties, which is a property that needs to be rehabbed, it's not stabilized, you don't have your your all your tenants in there or any tenants You know, in this environment particularly, the risks, you know, a a lot higher, and um, you know, the borrower is going to pay a lot higher interest rate. Is there?
1: Is there? uh, uh, What's the state of things right now with uh, commercial space versus office space? Where where do we stand on that? That's the same thing, isn't it? Not necessarily. I mean, storefronts versus office space. All right
4: yeah so so storefronts retail actually surprisingly is doing reasonably well. i think a lot of the you know you know i think your malls your mall spaces you know a lot of malls have got into trouble and and shut down and and are being repurposed but i think generally retail as a sector is is definitely doing better than than office i mean office is really probably the hardest hit sector within the commercial real estate um you know with within commercial real estate so for example across the board office vacancies are running probably about 12.9% and that includes all office space which which is really the highest number since the great depression and and i think wow. what what's added to you know what's what's added to that is that um, you've probably got about 60 million square feet that are, that have you know is coming on top of that which is probably the highest um, amount of development for office space also since about 2009. So, so you know, then you look at all right. Well, let's look at different regions. So your suburban office building, your know, your small office building, not necessarily in a, in a dense downtown area. Those are faring a lot better. Your your big office towers in your big metropolitan cities. Your vacancy rates are you know could be as high as 20%, which. And, and those are the, really the buildings that are at the highest risk of, of getting into trouble. And um, I think the, an added factor is just change in, in employment behavior. You know, since the pandemic, employers are finding it a lot harder to get their their teams back into the office. And I think in many cases, they, they're realizing that, you know, they can have a remote workforce still working very effectively. So they you know, they they committing to smaller spaces, you know, when leases are running out. And um so so I think your larger towers in your bigger cities, I think that's where where you're gonna see the most issues.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where we have been seeing a lot of stuff. But you you can't uh this is kind of uh half joking but half serious. You can't turn an, like an office space into a more um homely feeling space uh, that people can just live in and, and have like a, have please, a couple of, of beds set up just in, the, in the meeting room. The
5: floor. <laughs> you,
4: you can't rent that <laughs> out? Like well, a, well, I, think, I, I, I think not quite that, but I think what, what a lot of developers are looking at is can an office building be repurposed into an apartment complex, like a proper apartment complex, not yeah. just putting a couple of beds into the office type of thing. But yeah, the, 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 um, could make yeah, it like I, a hostel. Uh, <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> Got a bounce. So, but, um, but you know, I, I think I think um, there have been a you know quite a few success stories where they've taken an office building and actually turned into a really nice functional apartment complex, and that that makes sense because you know I think multifamily they're still still a lot of demand for, and it's it's a pretty strong segment of the of the mm-hmm. market. But
1: Mr. Ginsburg, thanks Thank a lot for, for stopping by and, and giving us the breakdown for that. Mitch Ginsburg, real estate lending expert from comloan.com, joining us on Newstalk 710 KURV.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: Texas has found a new destination for illegal immigrants who have been processed and released by the Border Patrol. There is a bus of asylum seekers today in the Mile High City of Denver. They now join Washington, D.C., New York City, Chicago, and Philadelphia as drop-off points. And the triumphant governor of the mighty Republic of Texas, Greg Abbott, said in a statement that Texas's overrun border communities should not have to shoulder the burden of caring for this flood of illegal immigration. This uh, reasoning and theme has remained constant, by the way, and it is a theme that I agree with, as well as Davis Rankin, though he won't say that in so many words. That yeah, that we're shouldering the burden of a lot of this illegal immigration. It's not fair yeah. for us to do it, so that's why we're sending people to sanctuary cities. And so this busting strategy began last spring and more than nineteen thousand migrants have been transported to self declared sanctuary cities. Which those 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 cities should be the ones to overflow first, wouldn't you think? Like those are the ones that at least in name only. If they think it's a group. <laughs> At they least think on it's, the surface, those are the first places that immigrants should go.
5: It's, yeah, I would say it's probably not completely uh, fair, but it's not unfair. And if, if they have um, resisted the changes I would like to see in American immigration policy, well, then let them put their money where their mouth is. If they think it's such a great idea. But boy, they just moan. <laughs> moment about the expense so expensive you know they're they're using um city uh, school gymnasiums i think it is in new york city to to house uh, people and uh, there was a story on fox there's they're upset they, they don't have access to their it's not fair it's not right so where are you supposed to put them up i mean though
1: and there's already kind of a a, a racial narrative that's being strung along really for uh you remember recently it was in chicago they were kind of upset like hey we're spending resources on these migrants you know south of here and what what about the impact to black communities is going to have that's what they were talking about there was a fox news headline on that a few days ago
5: you you think that's um that's kind of dangerous of Pose it that way, don't you think? I did not say it. It was them. I know, I know, but I'm in Chicago. I mean um That was that was the that was the joke. World ends Friday, women and minorities most affected. Um the, measuring everything against its effect on a non white population.
1: Let me uh let me move on here. The Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. He is leading the list of major cities that are regaining residents who moved away during the COVID pandemic. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, more than 170,000 people moved to the DFW area between 2021 and 2022. Urban areas across the country grew by nearly half a percent in about two thirds of the 384 metro areas. Recorded by the census data, observed population increases in that particular time period. That is fascinating. So the Dallas-Fort Worth-Arlington metro area in Texas saw the biggest jump with over 170 people moving in. I'm sure that's a typo. That's that's probably bigger than than what that was because that sounds kind of small. Many urban areas in the south also saw big increases, including the villages in Florida the metro area by seven and a half percent. You don't remember that jingle, the village. Uh,
5: well, I try not to, but yeah, I
1: do. So, do you ever consider going there, Davey? Uh No, not no? on the bed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't take it any further than that. I heard some things, yeah. but I don't want to without no, ha- without I, having a refresher course on what exactly was I happening. I have nothing I against
5: that. that, but I, you know, and this is all personal. But the idea of reaching the age of fifty five and deciding you want to go be away from children for the rest of your life, theoretically. Just, that's a... Why?
1: Why? I'm I'm 36, and I've got one 18-year-old, and recently our neighbors, uh, they were parading their kids out. They were just taking them, like, a Sunday drive to go shopping or something like that, and it was a little boy and a little girl, and they were, like, singing away, Mm -hmm. playful little songs, and I'm thinking, you know what? I need to find somebody I can have another one with. I... (laughs) I didn't think that... You guys start going to the bars. Do guys get baby fever? I don't know. That's that's just something that I was thinking about. But yeah, they up and away, baby uh, fever. a new study ranking Texas number one in something that is nothing to be proud of. According to the survey from Forbes Advisor, and this is one of my largest pet peeves about living in the Valley, the Lone Star State has the worst drivers in the country. The report says Texas is in the top three in fatal crashes involving a drunk driver, a drowsy driver, or a driver that is going the wrong way, which is honestly a situation that should never, ever happen.
5: Well, nature takes care of that one, I think, you know,
1: pretty often. Two of Texas's neighbors also made the top five on the worst driver list. Louisiana ranks second. Oklahoma, number four. So this entire area is just full of really bad drivers. You're not you're not crazy, unless you're one of those people driving bad. But if you're if you're driving on the road and you're one of the safe ones, and you see somebody like, I don't think they should be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're 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 not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. More than likely, they should not be doing that. Don't you think? They like, should Like for call example, cops? on um, Pecan, mm-hmm. we're driving. I'm, I'm driving into Ricci Plaza. This happened a, a couple of months ago. But there's a little turn around, uh, I want to say, 2nd Street. Yeah, it's 2nd Street. Yeah, and it gets kind of swervy. You know that part that I'm talking about? It's west of uh, the the uh, post office. There was a guy that shot up right at the—I'm coming up to the intersection. This guy shoots up from the right of me, gets in front of me, right in the middle of the <laughs> intersection. Like, like there's a there's a stoplight yeah. behind me. There's a stoplight in front of me. No, it's, well, it, you did not oh, want to run the light, so you want to— <laughs> It was green. Don't misunderstand. But it was like a traffic light in front of me, traffic light behind me. Then this car shot up from the right, got in front of me right in the middle of the intersection, and we just kept going. You're not supposed to do that. That is incredibly illegal. And this guy did it. Where was the cops? Exactly. Where were we?
5: need more enforcement on traffic. I, My guess is the people who do that, it just occurs to me, they don't realize how dangerous they are. They may not care. No, they don't. Uh, but they don't realize how... How close they can come to causing an, an accident, right? So I don't know
1: where it was that I had looked it up that you're not supposed to make a lane change within a hundred feet of an intersection. Boy, it's I don't like that law. Give or take, give or take. Yeah, I think it was about a hundred feet of an intersection. You're not. I supposed think to make the a cops have
5: kind of given up personally on. <laughs> and I, I, I say this because it seems to me we've moved away from well I know when I got my driver's license you had to come to a full stop you come to a full stop if the cop saw you he you you got a ticket and I remember that because I thought it was so wrong well I think the question is
1: the amount of discretion being put towards that because it's like were you doing it in a reckless way the spirit of the law yeah. versus the letter okay. of the law. The letter of the law says you're not supposed to do that. But the spirit of the law is why do we not do that is because you might hurt somebody. And if you, had, if you were not somebody that was in danger of injuring another person by doing that, then is it really bad?
5: What I just assume, and I never have asked a policeman about this, I assume that they just have (laughs) – things are such now that they have, frankly, more important things to do, if you know what I mean. These are the ethical
1: questions that I throw out as we discuss the the fact that Texas is the worst – has the worst drivers in the entire country. I think
5: the DPS still doesn't (laughs) catch any slack.
1: And that's the thing We were talking about this Tuesday I was driving back From the Port of Brownsville It was raining Visibility was low The sun was out At the same time So the the sun's rays Were reflecting off Of the water That had collected On the ground You couldn't see anything And yet people were driving Way over the speed limit Coming Shooting up from My right side In front of me And crossing over Into the passing lane I don't understand Where people get the idea That these are safe Or acceptable Driving practices But honestly And this is controversial i admit this will be controversial but i think that every time you go to renew your license you need to retake that test that driver's test that is my just just my personal opinion because the 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 state of driving right now as it is i don't know if it was because of the rona and we stopped driving for a while or what but i think that to get your driver's license renewed you're going to go in and get your picture taken anyway you should you should take the driver's test. They should force you to take the driver's test. You're not getting that little card back until you do this.
5: I, I think the worst pictures in the world are the ones that they take at DPS license place. They're just
1: awful. I don't know. I think it would cut down on a lot of bad drivers if we had a refresher course every five years. I don't know.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store. From your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.